0: You're listening to a sermon of Meadowbrook Church in Ocala, Florida. For more media resources, visit us online at www.mbcocala.com. Thank you for joining us today. God bless you. You may be seated. All right. Well, we're continuing on our teaching entitled growth. This is our second week. Um, I believe the Lord put in my heart that 2010, or some of you call it 2010, is to be a year of growth. And by that, I mean personal growth, spiritual growth. Um, I believe that we as a church will grow personally, spiritually. And I believe that we also will grow numerically, but that's very secondary. Um, That's kind of the fruit of it. Um, But our emphasis needs to be in our own personal life that we grow personally and that we grow spiritually spiritually. If things are going to get better in your life, if if uh, you're going to do better, if things are going to change in your life, then we've got to grow. And the first place that we grow is spiritually is from the inside out. Let me briefly review from last week that when you receive Jesus as your savior, when you get born again, when you open up your heart and invite the Lord to come in to your life, into your heart, when you do that. He will come in. I said he will come in. He himself said, I won't refuse you. And so he comes in at that point. Then there's a washing, a renewing, a regeneration by the spirit. And we call that regeneration. We looked at that last week, but perhaps the term that we're all familiar with is born again, born again. And it is a Bible term. Jesus said, you must be Born born again. And then once you are born again, you become a Christian, you become a believer. You stepped across that faith line. Now a process begins, and that process is called sanctification. And I think better for our purposes, we're going to refer to it as growth, growth. So everybody say growth. And what happens during this process, and it is a progressive work of God working with you and you working with God, that as this process goes, then you and I become more and more free from sin and we become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. That we become more and more free from sin and more and more like Jesus. Now, in this process, there's God's part and there's your part. And I like to refer to it as the grace effort combo. And so God extends grace. We put out some effort. How many of you know God's... God does a whole lot more in this than we do, but we are involved in this definitely. And so there's grace from God, effort on our part. And then that combo uh, causes growth. That growth affects our entire being. It it affects our whole person. And so as we grow spiritually, as we grow personally, then uh, it affects not only us, spirit, soul and body and all of our realms, but everything connected to us. So it's a very important thing that we are growing. And remember that it's spiritual first. Everything, hear me, everything is first of all spiritual. Everything is first of all unseen. You know, we're sitting in a, a building today. That Did you know this? It was an idea before it was Amen. a building. And, and it, was, it was an idea. It was a picture in a mind. And then came onto paper. And then, you know, the process goes on. Well, everything that exists now exists because God, first of all, spiritually, and God is spirit. It came from God. So if there's going to be a change in our life, we're always trying to just do what we can see. And obviously there's some simple things, you know, like the bathtub is overflowing. You don't need to pray about that. Hey, y'all, you don't need to pray about that. Just go turn the water off. You know, there's things like that, but I'm talking about real change and, uh, in our life, growth in our life, it's spiritual first. John said in Third John 2, beloved, I wish above all things, I pray above all things that you would prosper. And that word means succeed or have a good journey, that you would prosper and be in health. Get this part, even as your soul prospers. So if anything's going to go well on the outside, it's going to have to go well on the inside. Even us being able to get along with other people and be at peace with other people, that first of all comes from peace with God. Then you can have peace with yourself. Then you can have peace with other people. And so it's spiritual first. It's from the inside out. Everybody say inside inside out. We saw last week as I closed, I shared with you the first steps of this. Because I don't want to ever just give us information and not being able to apply it somehow. Application is the proof of learning. And so we have to take what we learn and then be able to apply it. An application for, for this, we looked last week, is first of all, you and I need to acknowledge, you need to acknowledge and admit this, I need to grow. How many of you would say, I do need to grow? Just just show me here. All right. So you need to acknowledge, I need to grow. And then secondly, you need to decide, I want to grow. How many of you that would be you? Yeah, I want to grow. It's less than those that needed to, but... And, And then the third one, the third one is this. You need to commit that I will cooperate with God. How many of you be willing to commit? I'll I'll cooperate with God. And so we acknowledge I need to grow. We decide I want to grow. And then thirdly, we commit that I will cooperate with God. Now, growth is a process. How many of you realize that? Growth is a process. There are no shortcuts in this. There's no magic pill. For this there's no jack and the beanstalk scenario they just suddenly overnight I got it all together it's a it's a process we continue this until the day we die that we'll continue to be uh, more and more free from sin and become more and more like Jesus we're going to grow uh, and life will go so much better and you're going to be so much more fruitful and fulfilled and have impact and and feel some significance in your life and worth in your life the more that you grow in him so the first thing I tell you is get born again. And then, and then, and then start to grow. And so many people, I get, I get concerned, you know, they'll step across the line, they'll accept Jesus. But now the important thing is, is that we grow. We've got to grow. Amen. But growth is a process. And like I said, there are no shortcuts. Matthew chapter seven, verse 13 and 14 in the message Bible. It says this, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff, even though crowds of people do. The way to God, uh, excuse me, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. So it's a process here. Now, in Luke chapter 2, and we're going to find some things regarding Jesus here. In Luke chapter 2, if you look down in verse 40, and it'll be on the screen for you. It said in the child, and that's speaking of Jesus, the child grew, grew, the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. And this this has reference to when Jesus was just little. And this has to do with kind of an automatic growth that will take place. How many of you know when you have a baby, when a baby is born, now the baby's supposed to grow. And in the same way, when we're born again, we're supposed to grow. And there are a number of things on a certain level. And let's go back to a baby or a puppy or whatever it would be. If you feed them and you do certain minimal things, they're going to grow. Is this too hard? Okay. And so they're going to grow and there's just kind of this automatic growth. This is kind of referring to that and the blessing that would come. Uh, And you need to understand this. You have a whole lot of blessing that's on your life simply because of if you have godly parents. And if you're around godly people, and if you have God in your life, you're going to have a lot of things, a lot of blessing that is in your life just by virtue of who you're connected to. For real. Well, this is, you know, Jesus as a small child. He grew, he became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. The grace of God was upon him. Then we jump down to verse 46 and it says, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers. Now, come back to that in a moment, because I want to set this up or remind you about this. Every year, Joseph, Mary and all the kids would load up and they go to Jerusalem and they would go for the feast of Passover. And it was a tradition. It was an annual thing that they would do Their, their extended family, friends, neighbors and so forth. They would make that journey. And uh, they would go and celebrate Passover and and uh, usually travel together in a big group uh, because it was enjoyable. But also it was necessary because there were bandits and uh, it was very hazardous. And uh, so they took the journey. They're on their way back now. And uh, suddenly Mary looks around in her minivan and doesn't see Jesus. So she calls over to, uh, you know, Aunt Martha and says, is do you have Jesus in your van? No. And so they're you know, next rest stop, let's pull over here because we got to find Jesus. So they're looking, maybe he's in the motor home with grandpa and, and they look and, and and he's not. So Jesus is missing. So how many of you believe me? OK, I embellished it and I made it a little more contemporary, but you know what I'm saying? Now, so it was that after three days they had to travel back to find him. They found him in the temple. How many of you know you would have got a butt whooping? How many of you ever had a butt whooping? How many of you know it's okay to say butt whooping in church? (laughs) All right. They found him in the temple. I'm just thinking of my mom. It wouldn't have gone down this way. (laughs) Don't you? (laughs) Sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. But his mother kept all these things in her heart and Jesus increased. That word also means grew. Jesus increased or grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Now, we're going to kind of unfold this because this is absolutely loaded uh, with some things that are going to help us to grow. Jesus grew. Jesus increased and grew in wisdom and in stature. He grew inside He grew outside, he grew spiritually, he grew mentally, he grew emotionally, he grew physically. So we find in verse 52 that he increased or grew in wisdom and stature. And then in my Bible and other Bibles, there's a comma there and in favor with God and men. Now, the way this is structured in the Greek, this is an independent clause that hinges on the previous one. So the previous one says that he grew or increased in wisdom and stature inside and out. And, and so this hinges on this and in favor with God and men. And since it's independent here, it's suggesting that that the second clause is the result of the first. So the first was, and let me just kind of phrase it for you this way, because. Because he grew in wisdom and stature, the result of that is he also grew in favor with God and men. And I hope you hope you got that, that there is favor to be found, an increase of favor to be found in your life as you grow spiritually, as you grow inside and out. One of the results of that will be you will gain favor with God and you'll gain favor with men. And maybe realize you could probably use a little more favor than you currently have. All right, now, again, growth affects the whole person. So as he grew in wisdom and in stature, it affected him even as far as favor. Whatever he's connected to, God and men, it it affected that as well. Now, where it says Jesus grew, everybody say Jesus grew. Jesus grew and he increased. And in the Greek, this word means to, the word for grow or increase means to cut to beat one one's way forward, chopping away obstacles. A suggested literary reading would be this way. He kept cutting his way forward as through a forest or jungle as pioneers did. So this is not just a passive because of your surrounding. Suddenly you're growing. You're doing well because you're being well taken care of. This shows that Jesus leaned into this thing. He's cutting. He's chopping obstacles out of the way. This is like somebody having to clear their way through the jungle, through the woods, through the forest. You got a machete out or whatever it takes. You're going to clear a path. You're going to you're going to clear out the way before you. And this shows intense effort. Everybody go ahead and say effort here. And so this is not just this passive. It just kind of happened to Jesus. This is something that is the result of him putting some effort into this, leaning into this, throwing your back into this and wanting something that he pressed into this. And we should learn from that. Now, Jesus is our example. In 1 Peter 2.21, excuse me, in First Peter 2.21, it says of him, leaving us an example of. That you should follow his steps. So he is our example and you should follow his steps. Are you all here? Jesus is our example. Why? So that we would follow his steps. And so as we look here at how Jesus grew, we can gain some things from this. Jesus at this point is operating as a human being. A lot of times people, if they don't understand this properly, they see Jesus do something. They say, I can never do that. I can never act that way. I can never uh, conduct myself in such a good manner. He was Jesus. Well, the thing you need to understand was the son of God became the son of man. God put on flesh. Philippians 2 tells us that he limited himself. He emptied himself of his divine privileges. So. It would be an unfair example for us to even try to follow if Jesus did everything as the son of God. But now as son of man, he's saying what I do, you're going to be able to do this with the help of the Holy Spirit and walking in the light. You're going to be able to do what I've done here. So Jesus is our example, setting that example for us. We should follow his steps. One of the things Jesus did not do was make excuses. And I want to just share with you uh, historically some things that would be involved in Jesus' life that could have been an excuse that would have kept him from growing. First of all, he grew up in a large family. Secondly, he lived in a despised city. He was also part of a suppressed people group. He was probably poor. The government and religion were overreaching and overbearing. He lived in a society that was full of fear and full of change. But you know what? That had no impact on Jesus. He did not pick up any of those things as an excuse of why I can't grow, why I can't better myself, why I can't clear a path. He didn't say, well, I'm from a large family. I didn't get much of a shot. My people group, my city, my government, this, this, this. He didn't grab hold of those things. He had no excuse. He made no excuse. Instead, he chopped his way through the obstacles so that he could grow. In wisdom and stature and find favor with God and with man. If you're with me so far, say amen. Amen. Actually, I had to do amen so I could get a drink of water. (laughs) Now, Jesus, there's some factors about Jesus and how he grew. These factors set Jesus up for growth. And these factors can also be applied in our life and set us up for growth. These literally are some ways to cooperate with God. And as I told you, there's God's part. Everybody say God's part. part. And then there's my part. part. Say my my part. Okay. So you've got God's part and you've got my part or your part. And what that is, what is my part? What is your part? It's to cooperate with God, to cooperate with God. And I want to give you some specifics here. Some factors that Jesus had that set him up for growth that will do the same thing for you. First of all, if you will remember, he said, why are you, why are you looking for me? He, he said, my, uh, did you not understand that I must be about my father's business? Now, I don't think you should get religious and stuff and say, oh, I must be about my father's business. I, I think we just need to boil it down to one thing, and it's this, priorities. Priorities. Everybody say Priorities. When priorities change, that's the proof of real change happening in your life. You might mentally assent to something, but when your priorities change, that's proof that some real change come into your life. And the first factor here that was in Jesus' life that's modeled for us has to do with priorities. But I want to put it to you this way. God first. Everybody say God first. God first. When God is first, then your other priorities. This is the only way to get your priorities right. It's the only way to get your priorities right. Problems come when we confuse my way with the way. And we think my way is the way. And you know what? You may want to just kind of check in with God because his ways and thoughts are above our ways and thoughts. He would have a better idea. I said he would have a better idea. And so if we're going to get our priorities right, which Jesus had his right. We're going to put God first. I could write priorities up here, but the thing is, your priorities make no sense. They won't work unless this is your first priority. Then the other things click into place here in Matthew chapter six, verse 33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The other things are going to find their proper place. Things that you and I have made priority because we're worrying about this, working toward this, doing all those kind of things. He said, no, 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 no. That's what the Gentiles do. That's what people that don't have relationship with God do. He said, what you need to do is put God in the things of God first. And when you put God in the things of God first, the other things will find their place. Listen very carefully to this next statement. He must be in first place or everything else is in the wrong place. He must be in first place or everything else is in the wrong place. Now think about that. You're going to have some good and noble and even godly things in your life. But if he who occupies first place is not in first place, then number two gets slid up to number one, number three to number two, and everything, although noble and good, and you may even contend, well, my priorities are better than some other folks. We're not talking about other folks. We're talking about you. We're talking about me, that God would be first because if God is not first, hear me now, if God is not first, then everything, if he's not in first place, then everything else is in the wrong place. Hear this clear. You can learn this in the classroom or you can learn it by crisis. You can learn it in here with somebody telling you or you can go out there and bang your head. And I think it's better. It's preferable. Either way, you're going to learn it. But it's preferable that we would learn it in the classroom. How many of you know it would be better to learn don't touch that it's hot by somebody telling you than you touching it. And so Here again, God first. If God is not first place, then everything else is in the wrong place. And you can learn that. And I'd hate for you to learn it by crisis. And sometimes that's the way people have to learn. is by crisis. Continue to live your life out of order. And you end up in a place of crisis. And then you finally realize, you know what? I really have to change now. I really have to grow and get God first place. C.S. Lewis said this. When first things are put first, Second things are not suppressed, but increased. Second thing, second factor that was in Jesus' life was he was a learner. Everybody say a learner. Jesus was a learner. That means he learned things. In verse 46 of Luke chapter 2, it says, So it was after three days they found him in the temple. Watch this. Sitting in the midst of the teacher's both listening to them and asking them questions. He knew how to listen, which is a huge part of learning. Just listening is a huge part of learning. But here's another part, too. He knew how to ask the right questions from the right people. Listening is a huge part of learning. You know, when I'm in the presence of somebody that I'm wanting to learn from, I'm very quiet. I said I'm very quiet. You know, if if I'm having dinner with Pastor Bernard, who's going to be here in a couple of weeks, I'll ask a couple of questions. Other than that, I'm just, I'm quiet because you know what? I want to learn. I want to learn. There's people I've sat with at meals before, or retreats before, and I'm I'm writing notes on the on the paper uh, tablecloth. You know, but sometimes we just want to talk. We just want to talk and talk and talk. And you know what? When you're talking, you're not learning. And so when we listen and Jesus knew to listen so that he could learn, but he also knew to ask the right questions from the right people, which means this, you're going to have to get your information from from the right source. In um, Psalm one, verse verse one through three, it said, blessed is the man who walks not In the counsel of the ungodly, he doesn't take the advice and the direction of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. That sounds like growth to me. But but in order for him to grow, he did not get his information, his advice, his direction, his counsel from the ungodly. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 in the Message Bible, it says, You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. What a dangerous thing it's just just to let the TV tell us stuff. Or let your negative friends tell you stuff. You need to be careful where you're getting your information from. And he says, you let the world. Are you all here? Yeah. You let the world that doesn't know the first thing about living tell you how to live. They change their mind on what is right and what is good and what will work. And if eggs and butter are good for you, or if they're not. I say if they taste good, let's do it. You know, but but it, it, anyway. And Oprah and everybody else. And we've got to stop letting the world tell you how to live. We need to go to God and find out how to live. And we need to have godly counsel in our life. It's very important that you're getting your information from the right way. Asking the right questions from the right people. I pray that God will help you to structure your life. Where you have people in your life that you can bounce things off. You have, you have places in your life that you can go and learn some things. Hopefully church is one of those things. That you come and learn and walk out of here with some nuggets. That's something to live by. Hopefully that's the case. Now, when I was in uh, 10th grade and I just started driving car and um, I got a job at a gas station. It's called Bailey's Shell. We drove past it the other day. It's no longer Bailey's Shell. It's some other place now. But um, it was down in Leesburg and I worked there for about four and a half years. And shortly after I started working there, um, and this was full service. How many of you remember full service? I really think you could bring full service back and do it right. And and people go to, I really do. And people come in, we'd see them coming in. We were either already waiting for them. We're in uniform, you know, run over that black hose and ding, ding. And we're there with a smile. Our little uniforms. I was so proud. I had my name on my shirt, had a little key on a retractable thing, had my, my, uh, grease rag. I mean, it was awesome. And, um, People come in and you think love bugs get bad nowadays back in the mid seventies, late seventies, they were horrible. I mean, a car looked like, you know, somebody had stuccoed the car, you know, and that was just part of what we did check your oil, check the air in the tires and be nice to people and, yeah. and fill them up and, and get them on their way. And a lot of times people coming through, you know, central Florida and they want a direction somewhere. They were from out of state or whatever, and they come and uh, I just started working there and. So this guy came in and he said, hey, uh, can, you tell me, uh, can you tell me how to get to the turnpike? I said, yeah, well, let me tell you what you want to do. <laughs> so what you want to do is you want to get out of here and you want to go down this way. About your sixth light and you're going to take a right and it's going to be west. You're going to be heading west, all right. And you can go on down there and you'll start to see some signs take you right to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yes, sir. He drives off. My boss comes over and he goes, what did he want? And I said, he wanted to know how to get the turnpike. And what did you tell him? (laughs) So I told him, he goes, oh, no, you know. So, listen, I was in 10th grade. I hadn't been anywhere. I had just started driving. Now, I wasn't making up stuff. I was just trying. I would heard my bosses tell people stuff. And so, we're in Leesburg. It can't be but one way out, you know, so. And sure as the world, about an hour later, that same car came by honking their horn. Listen, you want to ask the right questions from the right people. With me on that? We need to have godly counsel in our lives. Let me read you a couple of verses real quick, where, uh, Proverbs 11:14, "Where there is no counsel, the people fall." But, the but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs twelve fifteen: The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs fifteen twenty two: Without counsel, you'll never find your way to the turnpike. <laughs> Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Proverbs nineteen twenty: Listen to counsel and receive instruction, that you may be wise in your latter days. And so we need to be learners. God first. We need to be learners. You need to have systems. You need to have books. You need to have people. You need to have church. You need to be a lifelong learner. You don't let the TV talk to you. Or the lyrics of our day or magazines or whatever. You need You need to make it your business and cut through the obstacles and plow through the jungle to get a hold of the right things. And get a hold of the truth of of God and the truth of God's word presented to you in ways so that you can apply it to your life. You need to be a learner. You need to be a learner. Thirdly, Jesus, you won't like this one as much. Jesus was a worker. Everybody say work. Work. He knew how to work. He knew how to work. He grew up in a carpenter's home. He grew up where the custom of the culture was this. You worked with your father in your father's trade. And your father had worked with his father in his father's trade. And his father had worked with his father in his father's trade. Where it was generational. So much so that it became your family name. And the derivation of many of our names today actually came from the trade or the vocation in which people were involved. For example, Butler, Carpenter, Smith, Cook, tailor, Bishop, Miller, Pirate. I got one other one. Bum. But Jesus knew how to work. He was a carpenter. In Mark chapter 6, he said he came into town and he started teaching people. go, Wait, 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 wait. Isn't this the carpenter? Jesus knew how to work. And I'm going to tell you something. People of God, one of the things that should be on our lives is we know how to work. And we show up and we work hard and we have a smile on our face and we get the job done. We're not waiting and looking at the clock and we don't steal pencils from work. We go in there and we get it done and we do it right because we're not serving man. We're serving God. And it should be seen, it should be noticeable about believers that that we will work and we will work honest and we will work hard. And if you'll do that, there's built-in reward. How many of you know when you just get a little project done, you're proud about it, you've got to call somebody. Hey, guess what I did? You know, and if any of us ever got our garage cleaned out, how many of you know you'd take out and add in the paper? You'd tweet. You, you do whatever, you know, and, you know, my kids come to me, they finish a project, you know, uh, uh, some kind of project for homework or some kind of report or something. They always got to tell you, hey, I, I did this because there's a built in reward when you work hard. There's a built in thing with that. Proverbs 14, verse 23. Excuse me. It says in all labor, in all labor, there is profit, but idle chatter leads only to poverty. And the message Bible it says, Hard work always pays off. Mere talk puts no bread on the table. And fourthly and lastly, Jesus knew how to respond to authority. Everybody say authority. Now, some of you just cringed with fear because you heard the word authority, and then you heard the word authority in church. But you can relax. Jesus lived under authority in Luke chapter two, verse 51. It says, then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Speaking of his parents, he yielded to, he submitted to his parents. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Jesus understood authority. And we find that in that passage that among these other things, he subjected himself. He submitted himself to authority. Let me tell you what parents are among other things parents are Ephesians chapter six, verse one in the Amplified Bible. Parents are God's representatives. And what parents do, one of the things they're to do is to teach their children how to respond to authority. And sometimes parents want to be their buddy or they don't want to, you know, stir the pot or whatever. And so they won't ever hold them to this. But the Bible says that you've got to teach them to honor and obey their parents. And that's just the proving ground, because if you don't learn to honor and obey your parents, then you're never going to respond right to, to a boss or to law enforcement or to a librarian or a parker at church that says park right here. You're never going to learn to respond to those things right. And so, parents, we've got a job to do. And it's not being heavy-handed and overbearing. It's just teaching them there's always in life a creative order. Somebody in every situation has to say, this is what we're going to do. And this is not what we're going to do. In every situation, that's the case. I mean, you go into a burger joint and it says, you got to stand in this line. And you got to go through the little deals. And you got to order what's on the menu. You know, and wait your turn. You got to, everywhere you go, anywhere you would go, the, this is the case. Are, are y'all here? And the Bible said in doing so that you would, things would go well with you and you'd live a long life. And in training our children, one of the things I've asked them on occasion do you want things to go well with you? Do you want to live long? It's Bible. It's Bible. And we got to teach them to honor and obey, to respond properly to authority. And I I believe this. I believe there's people in jail and prison and people in all kinds of bad sorts of ways simply because they never learn to respond right to authority. We read about it every week now in, in newspaper and online about people throwing a fit on an airplane. And folks, these are not the days to be throwing a fit on an airplane. Okay? And I don't want to sit here and he touched me and I wanted this and I don't want to sit down yet. You big baby, where's your mom and daddy? You need a spanking. Amen. You know, and we've got to learn to respond right to authority. And you won't you won't grow and things won't go well with you. If you don't learn to respond right to authority, there is a creative order. There's a structure and a flow wherever you would be. And you've got to respond properly to that. Don't you be the resistant one, the complaining one, the difficult one. You be the one that complies. Now, let let me bring it down to your row to right where you're at, okay? You just might be smarter than your boss. Hold on. You might be smarter than your boss, but, but don't be dumb about that. Because it might just be a test. Do you hear me? Now, don't raise your hand, but how many of you think you might be smarter than your boss? I'm looking at my staff. (laughs) On some things. It's not your turn right now. You might be smarter than somebody that's telling you what to do. But there's a thing called functional authority. And that right now that person. It's their time. Number of years ago, Bert Thomas, who's part of our staff. uh, He and I flew to Canada. He accompanied me on a ministry trip to Canada. And I remember we were in the Calgary airport. And it was time to, to board. Everybody else had boarded. We had our boarding pass. And the little flight attendant guy. Um we walked up and he goes, I haven't called your number yet. We're okay. Points to the sign. You have to stand behind that line until I call your number. Okay, now. And then he calls our number. But what were we to do? You just got to respond, not react. How many of you know sometimes we really want to react? Tell, tell me. But the more sanctified, the more we grow, the more and more free we're going to become from those reactions. And the more and more like Jesus we will be. And part of that comes from responding properly to authority. I won't take the time to read it right now, but Romans chapter 13 says all authority is from God. Listen to me. All authority is from God. Really? God put all these people in authority. Listen, I told you, you're probably even smarter than your boss. But God knows what he's doing. And it said, and if you resist authority, you're resisting the ordinances of God. And you'll bring judgment on yourself. And the best thing you can do is whoever's in charge, show up with a grin. Show up and do the right thing and respond properly to authority. It's vital to your growth. Remember, and as I close, remember that growth is a progressive work. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes consistency. It involves both God's part and your part. And your part, you ready? Your part is to cooperate with God. And four of the ways that we found out you can cooperate with God is put him first. And that's going to involve you sitting down and thinking some things out and realizing, you know what? I've, I'm confused again about my way and the way. And putting God first. Second of all, that you become a learner. Don't don't let the only learning you get be from Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune. (laughs) Thirdly, you're a worker. When you show up, they know you're there. And you make a difference with joy. And fourthly, you respond to authority wherever you are. These are factors that were in Jesus' life that set him up for growth. So that he could grow and increase in wisdom and stature. And in doing so... He also gained favor with God and with men, which is one of the fruits of growth. Did you get anything at all out of this today?